Good morning. Great to see you all this day, and um, I just uh, want to report on yesterday, well, yesterday and the day before, um, we had a record number of hampers go out, 238, and I... Thank you, thank you uh, uh, to everyone who participated and helped. Nancy, we had, a, we had an army of people, and, and it was so great to see how people came together. And, and I said to Nancy, I don't know, and this will be my sixth hamper um, since being here at Unionville Alliance. And I said, it seems to me like it's going better and smoother the more we do it. And Nancy said, yeah, it really is. And uh, anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, we had a chance yesterday to put on a program with our children for our, our regular um, Master's Pantry uh, friends. And, uh, and then we had a, a time downstairs with them. And it was just great uh, for me talking to so many of them and to hear how much they appreciated our church and, and what... Uh, and the encouragement they have received here. And uh, Nancy got a little note from, uh, and, and God has been so good in, in uh, corporate sponsors, and we, we had guys like Hockey with Heart. And uh, one of these guys was going out and making deliveries. And he made a delivery, and, uh, as, and, and the, the man thanked him so much for uh, what was provided and then as he, just after he left in his car, he got a, a phone call from this person. He's thinking, what, did I forget something or what was it? And uh, the guy put his wife on the phone and she wanted to express her gratitude too. And then all the four, four or five children, they all wanted to get on the phone and thank him as well. So it's just, it's, it's so heartwarming uh, to see uh, how, what, you and others have provided and how that has blessed people. So thank you so much for all of that. Well, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a true confession for you this morning. Um, and I'll say it because Gerda will tell on me if I don't, but I'm not the most patient guy in the world. I, you know, I, and, 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 uh, I remember I was going with a pastor friend of mine. We were going to Chicago to take a course. And we were at the border at Port Huron. And I'm in a line of cars. And uh, like there are about eight or nine cars. And the line beside me has like two cars. And I'm called like, this is a no-brainer, right? So I pulled into that lane. And when I got up to the, the station... The guy said to me, you in a hurry? I said, what? And he wrote out something, tore it off, gave it to me, and told me to go to that building. <laughs> where I spent about 30 minutes waiting and being interrogated. And then when they were done with me, they said, uh, now you see that building there? Take this and go to that building. Where they were going to tear my car apart. And... Um, the guy said to me, why are you here? And I said, I changed lanes. And he laughed. He said, get out of here. Go. You know, and, and you, know, you think you would 
you think you would learn, right? And I, so I'm always calculating when I'm driving. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, all right, there's a bus there. There's a railway crossing. I could get stopped behind the bus. And I, so I'm, I, I'm strategizing to get the best route. When I go to the grocery store, I, I, I survey who's in line, how much they have. And I'm kind of watching how quickly is the, is the, the cashier putting that stuff through, right? And, and I don't know why God does this to me. Well, I guess I do know why he does it to me. But I end up, you know, choosing what I think is the best line to get in. And then we have one of these, we need a price check. You know, so somebody's going all over the store trying to find the product while I'm standing in there watching everybody beside me go through. And on one occasion, I don't know what happened, but um, it was not going quickly. And and the cashier looked at me and said, Sir, you'll just have to be patient. (laughs) Now, here's the crazy thing. That week, that Sunday... I was preaching on patience. So here's the deal. Um, I think God will school us in the things that we need to be schooled in. So don't pray for patience for me, okay? Please don't do that. Because I know the road to patience is is having to endure things that you don't want to endure because you want to move faster. And, and so please don't pray for me. God knows what I need. And, um, and I know that if I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn by waiting. And uh, so don't provoke the Lord on my behalf. You know, our world is really kind of about getting things and not waiting and, and not being patient. I remember when we first got a microwave oven and we could do something that would take minutes and do it in seconds. And, uh, you know, everything that we are looking at, is, it's to be faster, faster downloading speed, faster this, faster that. And, and uh, we want it now. And, and so uh, those who, who uh, advertisers tell us, you know, you can have this now. You don't have to have to pay for it. You can wait for a year and then start payments. And, and so there's this... There's this thing about us that we want things and we want them now. And um, we can be terribly impatient. Um, you know, my brother's here. We, Christmas is something that, I mean, it never comes quick enough for a kid, right? Right? It's just like, how, how many more sleeps? When, when is Christmas here? And my brother and I, like, we'd be so jacked. We'd be awake at 2 in the morning on Christmas morning. And my mom would, you know, shuffle us. Boys, get back in there. It's not, it's, it's nighttime. You've got to go back to sleep. And we'd get into uh, our stockings and we'd be, have chocolate all over our face and stuff like that because we wanted Christmas to come. And uh, the, 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 the struggle is God comes when he's going to come on his own timetable. And people had waited and waited and waited for him to send the Christ. And Luke records for us the Christmas story. He records an account of two people, two people who were looking forward to the coming of Messiah, looking forward to Christmas, if you will. 
And their story took place while Jesus uh, was, was uh, born. And, uh, and there were some things that they had to go through to take care of uh, religious duties that they had on behalf of their newborn son. We talked last week about Galatians 4.4. 4. Um, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus came under the law, and so his parents needed to do what the law required for him because we find that everything Jesus did fulfilled the law that he came uh, to bring. And so there were a series of rituals that he had to, uh, that had to be performed on behalf of this baby. And uh, uh, I'm looking for my slides. Okay, thank you. Mary and Joseph, and they, they need to fulfill the requirements of the law when it comes to Jesus. Uh, they need to take care of all the things. And the first thing they had to take care of was circumcision. Now, um, I, I'm just show you from Genesis what happened in Genesis 17. Uh, first it says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And uh, we go back in time to Genesis, and we hear what the beginning of circumcision was. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, that the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. From ge- for the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including uh, those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. And so right from the beginning, God says, I made a covenant, a promise and a covenant with you. Uh, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And if you keep the law that I give and, and are faithful to my covenant, then I will bless you and keep you and, and as, as your God. And so he told them that this was to happen on the eighth day and it was the firstborn male that needed to be circumcised. And um, we, we find that um, the child would be named at that time. So he would be circumcised, and it would be the, the sign. It would be a reminder of the sign of the covenant that God had made with them. It, it would be for those of us who are married. It's like wearing a, a wedding ring. It's, it's a token, a sign of the, the, the covenant that God made with us. In this case, the covenant we made with our spouse to be faithful in that relationship. And, and so... Um, he had to undergo that. So they brought him to undergo what the law commanded needed to be done. And then there was a purification. Um, when a, a child was born, that child would need to, uh, the, that mother would need to go through a purification period of time. And that, when you had a little boy, it was a 40-day period. And uh, at the end of that time, uh, that person 
would then uh, would then uh, undergo a ritual cleansing through offering an, uh, a sacrifice and an offering. And so it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Um, So what happens, uh, they're going to make an offering of purification so that Mary could go back uh, and worship in the temple and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so they took young Jesus, who'd received his name. By the way, the name Jesus, the, the Old Testament equivalent is Joshua, or Yeshua. And it's, it's our Savior. He's Jesus. He's the Savior. And so here are they back and, and having to do these, this ritual purification. And what happened was, uh, when the days of her pur- purification for a son or a daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. Um, he shall offer them before, that's the priest, shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. And these are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. What did Mary and Joseph bring? The poor persons. Two two doves uh, for her purification. Um, Now, beyond that, there was another uh, rite that they had to go to. Uh, and it is this, it's the consecration. In Luke 2.23, we read this, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Now, what is he saying here? What, what, is, the, what is the law saying? It's saying that, that the firstborn belongs to God. When Jesus was born under the law, it dictated that uh, the first, every firstborn male belonged to the Lord. Well, how did, how did we get there? Um, you're to give it over to the Lord, to the, Lord the first uh, offspring of every womb, the firstborn male of your livestock belonged to the Lord. So the first male offspring, they all belong to the Lord. And uh, here's, here's how that happened. When Pharaoh, back in the day, when the, uh, the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were under bondage to the Pharaoh there, and when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn, both people and animals, in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When, when God spared Israel from the oppression that they were under, uh, the Pharaoh wouldn't listen to the, 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 uh, the different um, uh, things that God brought against them, all of the plagues he brought against them. And he said, all right, every time Pharaoh would say, okay, let him go. And then he'd say, 
no, I've changed my mind. You can't go. And finally, what pushed him over the edge was uh, the death of the firstborn male in every household. Now, the Israelites would be spared that because they would go through the, the Passover ceremony. And on that Passover ceremony, they would, they would uh, slaughter a lamb, and they would take the blood from that lamb, and they would put it on the doorposts of the house. And when the angel, the death angel, passed through, he would pass over that place. And God says, because of that, all the firstborn males belong to me. Um, they are mine. And so there was this sense that they were consecrated to God. But he did something else. The Lord also said to Moses, I've taken the Levites from among, among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring and every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether a human or animal, there to be mine, I am the Lord. So here's what he says. Um, Here's what happens. God took the tribe of Levi, and he made that whole tribe his servants, so that they would take care of all of the religious duties. Um, Aaron and Moses were from the tribe of Levi. The high priest was to be Aaron and his sons and his family. The Levites, the rest of the tribes, support them in the work, uh, if you will. And God said, so what I'm doing is I'm going to take, and uh, I'm going to take the whole tribe of Levi. They'll be my servants. And uh, those who... Uh, those who are not of the tribe of Levi, the firstborn, the firstborn of every womb, uh, both human and animal, is offered to the Lord, but you must redeem every firstborn son, every firstborn male of unclean animals. So they replaced, and, and what you would do is you would pay uh, to have your, uh, your child re- uh, relinquish that, that claim that God would have on him, you would buy back your child. And so in a sense, Jesus was redeemed or bought back from service. And so his parents, the important thing about this is Jesus was born under the law and all of these laws that we don't fully understand that God had in the Old Testament, everything happened that Jesus would be treated and, and undergo everything that the law demanded because he was going to fulfill everything the law did demand. And so it was during the performing of these rituals that there's an encounter that uh, a man and a woman have with Jesus. They were longing for the coming of Messiah. Uh, they were waiting, waiting, and waiting. And uh, now the time has come. And so those two people, the first one is Simeon. And Simeon is not identified as a ruler. He's not a priest. He's just a godly layperson uh, who is a resident of Jerusalem. He, he's, he's probably old because God has promised to him in the past that he would not let him die until he had seen the Messiah. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon 
who was righteous and devout. Here's what he was. Righteous is he was in a right relationship with other people. He was a guy who understood what uh, love your neighbor as yourself meant. He treated people fairly and equitably, and he was compassionate and caring. And, and, And all of his relationships, his human relationships, were in order. But he was also devout. He he followed God's uh, ways. He loved God, and he gave himself totally to serving him in obedience with the Lord. That had happened for years and years and years. There was a deep longing in his soul that in his soul he wanted uh, to be able to see the Messiah. Now, this has been, been centuries upon centuries and, and he wanted to see something happen. He, he saw the mess that the world was in, and he, his heart cry was, well, it was the heart cry of Jesus when he taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because he saw the mess that earth was in. He, he looked at, uh, at the situation within Israel. He saw the Roman Empire that had walked in and decimated them and taken over the land. They saw how they were, uh, they were uh, under the, the thumb of Rome. Uh, he could see the taxation that was going on. He, he could see that there was this monster called King Herod who was in charge of, of Israel in the, in the Roman Empire. And he could see this guy, w- what he was like. Um, when he was upset, which he was upset a lot, heads would roll. He was, he was vindictive. He was mean-spirited. And uh, he was just a, a nasty person, and you didn't want to mess with him. He, he's the one that uh, had all the babies in Bethlehem slaughtered uh, for fear of that the, a king would take his throne. That's the kind of person he was. Um, and, and religiously, you had these... Uh, ritualistic uh, Pharisees on one hand uh, who so determined what God's law was and, and they, were not, uh, they were not caring, compassionate people. And on the other side of the aisle, you've got the Sadducees and they were, they were uh, more wealthy, noble people, but very liberal in their theology and didn't care about things. God hadn't spoken now for 400 years since Malachi, the last prophet, had spoken. And, and the world was not as it should be. And as Simeon looked, he thought, oh, God, I want to see your, I want to see your salvation come. I want to see your servant, uh, your Messiah come. And, and so he was looking and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and God told him you will not die until you see uh, the Messiah come and so um, here he was had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah moved by the Spirit he went to the temple courts and when their parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required he took him in his arms and praised God. Now, think about this. You've gone to do this religious duty, and, and here you are, Mary and Joseph, so observant. And then some old crackpot comes and takes your baby out of your arms. Okay? Like, I remember our first child. By the time you get to the third child, somebody takes him, it's fine. Just bring him back later. But, but the first child... Uh, you know, like so protective, 
You know, even when, even when our first child went to my parents' place, we had a whole list, do not let him eat this, 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 he's got to do this, you know. And, and so here they go, and they've got the baby, and this guy, this old guy comes and takes the baby out of her arms, and he begins to speak, and he's praising God. The Spirit told him to go to the temple and, and, and identified this couple, and uh, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which have, been, uh, which have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. This is the one who is to come. This is the one who, who comes with hope uh, for a better future, for something that God would do. God revealed that to him, and, and you can imagine as he begins to pour this out, it blows them away. Um, they, don't, they don't totally understand. They're trying to figure all of this still out. And, and he is going to see this fulfillment, and he makes this declaration. He heralds this about this child. This is the one that uh, will be a light for the Gentiles, and the light is knowledge for the Gentiles. See, it was a Jewish thing, but God had a global heart and a global mission. And so he said, this child will be a light. He'll be a light for all of the Gentiles. They'll come to know who Jesus is, who the Messiah is. He'll bring peace and joy and love and hope to the world. And then he says also uh, that he'll be, he will be uh, for Israel uh, their glory. And the glory is the presence of God, the presence of God with them. Here comes Jesus, and, and he is actually God the Son, and God is present with his people, and God will include the Gentiles. And uh, this, this incredible story uh, fleshes out as he makes this declaration at the temple. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. And let me just pause before I go there. I mean, they're, just, they're still trying to put it all together. You remember... The, an, the, the angels told the shepherds, the shepherds came, and, and they're, they're trying to make sense of all this. And now, they're, uh, a week later, they're at the temple for the circumcision, and then and another 33 days after that, they're there for purification rites, and, and, and that somebody would take and make this declaration over this child, and they marveled at it. And then, curiously, he speaks to Mary... And he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In the midst of this celebration, I mean, how, how, how much greater is it than having a celebration when you have a child, right? And everybody comes and they join in. And, and here in the midst of that celebration about this child, here is our Messiah coming. And then it says, the child is destined to call the falling and rising of many in Israel. What's going on? What's going on here? Um, 
although Jesus comes with this hope and peace and joy and, and all of what he brings, yet now there is this statement. And Jesus will become a polarizing instrument among God's people. He'll be a polarizing figure. Some will love him and others will hate him. Some will believe in him and follow him and others will reject him. Sadly, some will refuse to believe in him and to have anything to do with him. They'll resist his loving overtures. They'll tune out to what the, the, the truth that he brings to them. Rather, he'll live in rebe- they'll live in rebellion, asserting their self-will. And though he comes to bring salvation, some will refuse him, slight him, and speak against him. And he himself will be a sign that will be spoken against. Here he is, the Messiah, and that Messiah becomes a sign, a negative sign of people who are speaking against him. We don't have to get too far into the story of, of Scripture to find that Jesus didn't, everybody didn't love Jesus. Jesus had enemies, and sadly and curiously enough, some of those enemies were the religious leaders, the people who know better, the people who understood the Scripture, the people who that, that when, when uh, the wise men come to, uh, to Jerusalem and ask, where is the one to, who's born king of the Jews? And he calls, he calls together um, the, the uh, religious leaders, and they can say right off the bat, oh, Micah 5.2, in Bethlehem. Uh, of Judah. That's where he's, he's to be born. But they hated Jesus. They hated the purity of him. They hated the way he called them out for what they were. Uh, they, they hated the, the popularity they had, that he had, and they were afraid that others would, would come to follow him, and they would lose some of their influence and power. And so he speaks these words, and, and we see this played out when they were intent on killing Jesus. And here we are in the midst of this celebration, and, and, and here we are with Jesus. And looking ahead, um, he's going to cause the fall of many. They're going to reject him. They're going to be lost for eternity and the rising of some. He is this polarizing figure. And the Jews would not be satisfied until they got him on the cross and until he died. And so in the midst of this celebration, there's this, this solemn recognition that the, all things won't be good for Jesus. That enthusiastic reception that Jesus got on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And five days later, the crowds are shouting, crucify, crucify, and he's put to death. So the wonderful news of the birth of Christ, the Messiah, the King, is proclaimed, but it's tempered by this disturbing uh, report that they can't really fully understand. And here on this occasion of celebration, there's a shadow of a cross that covers that uh, celebration. The cross that we realize that the cost of salvation of what he would have to do for us would mean that he would not only come as a baby and grow up the God-man, but that he would be terribly treated 
and uh, slaughtered like an animal after being abused. It contrasts uh, for us the joy of Christmas and what lay ahead. And he said, he said to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. John tells us that near the cross of Jesus, as he stood and as he hung there dying, that his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, and the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time, the disciple took her into his home. Mary, Simeon says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. I think there's nothing worse for a mother than to see her child suffering, even if it's an adult child, and being unable to do anything to change that. To see him abused, to see him dragging that cross and falling under the weight of the cross and these women weeping for him. To see him hanging on the cross And I'm sure the words came back to Mary when she thought, this is what Simeon was talking about. And a a sword pierced her own soul too. And this would be a picture really for the followers of Christ where Luke will show to us and, and, and help us understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And being a follower of Christ isn't that everything is all hunky-dory all the time and everything is not all good all the time, but there can be uh, things that you have to undergo because you're a follower of Christ. And in this celebration, he reminds us of that, the cost of being a passionate follower of Christ something that Luke will develop fully. Well, there was another person attendant at this time, and that was Anna. Anna's an interesting person. Uh, She was a prophet. She was the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow for 84, until she was 84 years of age. Listen to this woman. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, and coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It's interesting when Luke tells us the story of Jesus and his birth, uh, that that uh, there was no one attendant. Here you've got the king of kings being born. Here you've got the Lord of lords, the Messiah, uh, and, and they're in a stable. And, and the birth is not particularly marked or celebrated. It's done in obscurity and in poverty. There's no room in the inn, so they're in a stable. But God didn't leave it unmarked. God took uh, two, uh, he, he took a group of shepherds. And you need to know, shepherds were not highly thought of. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, give witness in a court of law. They were considered uh, unclean ceremonially because, they, I mean, they lived with the sheep out in the fields. And, and they were also thought that, to be untrustworthy. And yet, those are the people that God decided to show 
to his uh, to uh, show them, give them to the opportunity of welcoming the Savior. And so they came, having been uh, told by angel, an angel, and an angel choir, and they go, and they're, they're over the moon happy, sharing with everybody what they had seen. But that's all for Luke, until we get to Simeon and Anna. And God had, okay, two senior citizens. Two senior citizens, faithful to God that we're privileged to be able to identify and speak a word of prophecy over them. So here is this old lady faithful to God. And, and she is, it's revealed to her, this is your Messiah. And, uh, she's, uh, and she gave thanks to God and spoke about to the, ch- the child, to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. All those whom, he, whom Christ had come to redeem, to buy back, to free from sin, to free from condemnation. And uh, what a beautiful thing to see. The Savior had come. Rejoice, rejoice. He is here. Well, the whole story comes to a conclusion in the final verse, in a return to Nazareth. And we read in verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. I had a question for you. Are you waiting for Christmas? Are you waiting for the coming of Christ? Are you waiting for something to change what's in our world and, and everything that has gone so terribly wrong with it? I don't know about you, but sometimes it doesn't seem so much like Christmas. Sometimes when we see the things that are going on, uh, it, it doesn't seem like the world has embraced that. And, and you may be experiencing some really difficult and tough times, and you're saying, I really wish Christmas would come. I really wish Christ would come and make those things right, those things that are wrong. And I want to tell you that Though Christ has come, he has brought Christmas to our hearts. It hasn't come to the whole world yet because the whole world has rejected him, but it will come. We celebrate Advent. Advent is the first coming of Christ, but there's a second Advent. That's a second coming of Christ to us. And and you may be struggling, and, and you may be wishing and I've talked to people recently who who've been so burdened and going through such deep and terrible things and they just wish I wish Jesus would come and take it all away but I want to tell you even though he doesn't always do that yet he does come to us and bring Christmas to our hearts he he comes to us and and as citizens of his kingdom he brings about his will and his, his joy, his peace, his love, his hope to our own hearts. A number of years ago now, um, a dear friend of ours um, had cancer. She battled bravely for eight years, and uh, things were, were getting worse and worse. And she found herself on, in, uh, in hospital undergoing chemo treatments on Christmas Eve. She was in a room with another woman who was going through treatments for 
uh, chemo treatments for, uh, for cancer. And our friend shared the joy that she had in Christ. See, she'd experienced Christmas. She'd experienced the person of Christ. She knew what it was to have peace in the midst of this. She knew what joy and, and love uh, and hope meant. And so here they were um, sh- sharing this. It was about midnight, and the bells of churches began to ring. And our friend just shared with her roommate what that meant. And uh, she opened her heart to Christ. And here it was, midnight, Christmas Eve in hospital with, with a uh, uh, poison going into your body trying to help you. Seven weeks after that, that woman passed away and went into the presence of God for eternal Christmas with him. But I want to tell you that if you're struggling and you have trials and difficulties, there can be a sense that Christmas has come to you because Christ is resident with you and in you by the Holy Spirit. And he can bring to you that, that joy and that peace. I remember another woman who, who had cancer uh, by the name of Margaret. And she was so full of joy and peace. It was, it was incredible. I said, Margaret, what is it? Oh, she said, God is so good. And it's going to be so soon when I get to see him. And, and, and there can be difficulties that you have, but I want you to know that, that Jesus Christ can bring Christmas to your life. And, and through those difficult, difficult times, my prayer is that he would open your heart to all he has for you and that you would experience Christmas. I, I still hear the, the words of Jesus, come unto me, all you who labor and are burdened. Come, come, I'll give you rest. I'll bring peace to your life. I'll give you a joy that you can't understand. Come to me. Unless you think, I'm waiting, 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 and nothing has happened, we're reminded in Second Peter 3 that the Lord is not slow can, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. You see, why hasn't God come and fixed things yet? Because he's been patient with people who haven't loved him or wanted him, who have rejected him, because he's unwilling that any should perish, but every one of us would come to him. Have you come to him? He stands there, his arms are open wide and invites you to come. And uh, you don't have to wait. He's here and present. Father, we thank you so much for the account of these two special senior saints who loved you, who looked forward and waited patiently and were, were, were rewarded to see something of how wonderful and awesome you were and what you brought to their lives Lord, some of us are going through challenging, difficult times. For some of us, this is, this, is the first, this is the first Christmas without our spouse or our family member. Uh, some of us are going through some, some harrowing uh, experiences with family members and things that are happening. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts to Christmas, to everything that Christ brings to us. 
And Father, I pray for those who perhaps haven't yet opened their heart to Jesus. They, they haven't put their faith and trust in him. Lord, I pray that they will recognize that they have this unparalleled opportunity to respond to the one who loves them, who died on a cross to pay the punishment for their sin so that they could be forgiven and accepted and a part of your family. And so we, we just pray these special requests before you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.